All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you all can make it. Everybody's healthy and well. Uh, I got a few couple announcements. So before we jump into singing a few songs, um, one, we'd like to welcome everybody that's tuning in online. We do appreciate you joining us uh, via Facebook and all the other places. Um, Gatlinburg Grace Retreat is next weekend. Looking forward to that. Going to be an awesome time of fellowship. Uh, we've got Arab Alabama Bible Conference also just around the corner. That's March 13th, 14th, and 15th. Then we've all got the Tennessee River Medina Bible Conference. That's going to be June 25th through the 28th. Uh, that is a wonderful time of fellowship right on the Tennessee River uh, for a few days, uh, hosted by uh, Souls Arbor Church. So I wanted to give you those dates. There's also another one, uh, fam- Family Grace Camp. I believe that is July 11th through the 17th. That's going to be up in Illinois. Um, planning on attending that. So I wanted to give you guys those uh, those dates. That's all I have for now. Uh, if you guys want to stand, we're going to start on page 28. Page 28, we're going to be singing, To God Be the Glory. glory great things he has done so loved he the world that he gave his own son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in praise the Lord let the earth Praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He has done. Oh, perfect redemption. Redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord. Let the Praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He He has done. Great things He has done. Great things. Has done great things. He has done great things. Praise the Lord. 
let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He has done. All right, we're going to page 24, Saved by the Blood. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, now ransomed from sin and a new work begun. Sing praise to the Father and praise to the Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Glory I'm saved, glory I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Glory I'm saved, glory I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. The angels rejoicing because it is done. A child of the Father, join heir with the Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. All hail to the Father, all hail to the Son, all hail to the Spirit, the great three in one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Glory, I'm saved, glory, I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Amen. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for this day that you've made. We thank you for everyone that is here and those who are tuning in online. God, we pray for this time that we would just have open ears, hearts, and minds ready to receive your word and to search the scriptures and to be built up in you, that that new man will be renewed day by day. 
We love you, Lord, and we give you all thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. <laughs> Amen. That's right, Grace. Amen. <laughs> all right. Uh, hope everyone is doing well. We are in part five of our series, No Other Doctrine, as we are going over all of the 13 epistles of, uh, that Paul wrote. And I think there's a great need to understand that unique doctrine because when you read 1 Timothy, Paul writes and talks about the sound doctrine which was committed to his trust. And so we're in part five. We're going over 2 Corinthians. Last week we went over 1 Corinthians. This is the follow-up letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So I just find it really interesting as I've been going through this because, man, this book is alive, and every time I study it and open it up, I learn something new. And I found it interesting. I was thinking about when I was reading the book of Romans, Paul says twice, my gospel. You know, he didn't say our gospel. He said my gospel. And when you read 1 Corinthians twice, when they're having the divisions and contentions among, well, which doctrine are we supposed to follow? He says, be ye followers of me, twice in 1 Corinthians. And when we get to 2 Corinthians, twice he talks about feigning not. You know, seeing that we, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we faint not. And I think uh, anytime you try and get into ministry, it's tough. It's tough. There's times, where, I'll be honest with you, where I just wanted to say, that's it. I'm done. But nonetheless, my sufficiency comes from God. That's where my trust is. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and He's enabling me to be able to do this work in the ministry. I, I don't take that lightly, and I consider it a, a, a big responsibility. But twice He says we faint not, and twice He talks about this power or authority that Christ gave Him for the Corinthians' edification and not for their destruction. Because I think when you read Paul's epistles... Sometimes it can, can basically just destroy your belief system. If you've built up this doctrine, this religious background, and, and things that you believe about what the Word of God says rather than what it actually says, and you read Paul's epistles, they might be really hard for you to, 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 to stomach. And I think that's why a lot of Christianity today, no sound. All right. Let me... All right, we'll double check because no sound. All right, um, can you guys hear me? I'm seeing Karen, Diane. Yes, sound works. All right, thank you, Lauren. All right, so um, twice he talks about this, and I want to I want us to go there. So if you have your Bibles, your tablets, let's go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. I'm going to do this a little different. I'm going to start from the very back, and then we're going to go to the, the front of the book. Second uh, Corinthians 13, notice in verse 10, Paul says, Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being absent I should use sharpness, according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification, and not to destruction. See, I, I find that interesting because I think what the Corinthians were kind of, when they read that first letter, you look at all the issues that Paul addressed in uh, what we did last week with 
the idols, uh, fornication, uh, marriage, uh, um, and, and all of these issues. That was some really tough stuff for, if, if you were the Corinthians, I mean, I literally tried to put myself in their shoes when I was reading the book. That might be really, really threatening to their faith. But Paul's comforting him, saying, like, look, I've been given this authority, I've been given this power from the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's for your edification. All these things, you think about the Corinthians. 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians, 13 in 2 Corinthians. They had a lot of issues. And there was a lot of straightening out for the Corinthians because they were being hoodwinked by these false preachers and false apostles and dragging them, and then they were making gain of them. And we're going to see this in this book. So let's go to the beginning of 2 Corinthians. There's four things that I really want to kind of touch on. One, I want to touch on the God of all comfort. Two, Paul's love for the Corinthians. Three, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And four, we'll talk about fools glorying in the flesh. So we're in 2 Corinthians. Let's read the first three verses. Paul, an apostle, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. So, important for you to know, the very first verse Paul and Timothy are the ones that are basically writing this letter to the Corinthians. So as you're reading throughout the book, when you come to a we, Paul's talking about him and Timothy. And it's really interesting when you read slow down and pay attention to the who's the we and the ye's and the you's. Paul and Timothy are the ones that are going to be the we's throughout this book. And the whole entire first chapter, Paul talks about And I love that title that God carries today, the God of all comfort. We get our comfort from God that basically enables us to comfort those as they're going through their persecutions and sufferings. And you can kind of see that tying in throughout the rest of the book because Paul's going to talk about the church at Macedonia and the great afflictions that they had. But even though they were in deep poverty, they still were giving to Paul's ministry. And Paul talks about robbing other churches so that he could do this service to the Corinthians. So we'll see this later in the book. But the first chapter, Paul talks about these sufferings and afflictions. And he even talks about where he and Timothy, he tells them in verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. So Paul's like, look guys, this, this ministry that we have, you should, I don't want you to be ignorant, meaning you should know that we are being pressed beyond our measure and so much that they don't even want to live. They just want the Lord Jesus Christ to come and take them. All right? And in, in verse 10 he says, he talks about, uh, well, verse 9, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also help her together by prayer for us. So, once again, Paul's saying, look, we were 
in this thing, we're in this ministry, we're, we're despairing life, we're, we're enduring afflictions, but God is teaching us that we should not put our trust in ourselves. I find a lot of comfort from learning from Paul and Timothy as they do their ministry. Because I think it's really easy for those that get into it to try and do this thing of their own strength. But it's not us, but the grace of God that's working in and through us. We just need to do the workman part. Get in the books, study, read, be built up. Filled up with the Word of God. Letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we can now pour the Word of God out to everyone around us. And you just keep that process going. So... For chapter 1 is all about the Father of mercies and the God of comfort. I love that note that in verse 11 that we read that, look, if you can't give to the ministry, if you can't partake in that, one thing that you can help is prayer. Prayer. Prayer for, for, for faithful men that are carrying this torch and, and the, the, the evangelists because we need people to keep going out and sharing the Word of God with others. So prayer together for those men in the ministry and and those that are partaking in it, partaking in the sufferings. Because I'm going to tell you this much. This walk is not all rainbows and butterflies. When you truly start to walk this thing out, you're going to be afflicted. You're going to be called names. You're going to want to give up. You're going to be called every name in the book. But take comfort. You're not the only one. Look at what they did to Jesus Christ. Look what they did to Paul. And you'll be able to find a lot of comfort there. So, another point to make in in chapter 1 is in verse 24. Paul writes, Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. I love that verse. I love that mentality when it comes to sharing the Word of God and sharing the truth of God's Word rightly divided and sharing the Gospel of Christ. A lot of people, they get threatened by hearing this grace message because it attacks everything that their religion's been built on, which they try and take out of the Old Testament Scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and, and they don't understand that Jesus wasn't speaking to them there. Because Christ hadn't been revealed the mystery until he raised up the Apostle Paul and made an apostle of the Gentiles. God only sent you one apostle, not 13. I had someone to say, well, what do you mean only one? Well, when I read Romans 11:13, it says, I am the apostle, singular, of the Gentiles. He was the only one that held that office. Me, I don't believe there's apostles today. If there's apostles today, I believe they're what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11, false apostles. And I was a part of a church that one man claimed himself to be an apostle. I was the Corinthians, all right? I was them. I was being taken advantage of. And uh, we'll get to that. But the point being is Paul's mentality, he wasn't trying to have dominion over the Corinthians. He only wanted to be a helper of their joy, help them grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, help them grow in their identity and how they're supposed to live, and to put away living for themselves, that we should live for Christ. And man, if I really kind of look at 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, I think it's a, a pretty much a great picture of Christianity today as a whole. I think Christianity today as a whole are very much carnal. I think a lot of them, and I'm coming, I'm speaking from me coming out of this. I was a babe in Christ. 
I was living for myself. I wasn't living for Christ. And a lot of people are walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. And we'll, we'll address some of those things. So, first, first chapter, we kind of address. Second chapter, Paul acknowledges his letters. And this is where I find Paul's deep love for the Corinthians. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any cause grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I might not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was afflicted of many, so the contrary wise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with much with overmuch sorrow. So, I, I see an awesome picture of Paul's heart that when you go and you read 1 Corinthians and, and you read about the, the fornication that was reported, not even among all the other Gentiles, uh, that a man should not have his mother's, uh, his father's wife, they were really, there were some messed up things going in Corinth, all right? And the, he, he told them to deliver such a man unto Satan so that the soul might be saved but the, the, the flesh might be destroyed. I'm misquoting that. You're going to have to go back and check that. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 5. But now Paul's telling, hey, that one that I told you to completely cut off from me, cut, cut off from your assembly, bring him back in, forgive him, love him as a brother, and he even tells him later in verse 10, uh, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also, for if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, forgave it I in the person of Christ. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but maybe you've been afflicted and hurt and wounded by someone in such a way that you just don't even want to deal with them. You're like, cut them off, you're dead to me. I want absolutely nothing to deal with that human being. And, and Paul talks about it is so important that you learn to forgive others even as Christ forgave you. Think about it. Christ, on the cross, forgave you of all your sins. Every single one of them. Before you were even born, and all the ones you're going to, communicate, going to commit in the future. All right, He forgave you. That's an incredible, amazing grace that I don't think a lot of, a lot of us can, can comprehend. And, and you know, it's funny because we can say, Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He died for my sins. But when someone wrongs you or trespasses against you, our natural... Adam, that old self, wants to say, well, that's it. I'm not forgiving you, right? And, and Paul tells us, no, we need to forgive even as Christ forgave us. Notice what he says in the next verse, in verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of, of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Unforgiveness is a, a device that Satan uses to, I believe, have a, a, a foothold in a lot of Christians' lives today because it just creates bitterness. And, and how is that reflecting the grace of God in your life? If Christ really forgave you, well, you should be forgiving others because guess what? We're all going to screw up. We're not perfect. And uh, <laughs> I, I look at the Corinthians. I look at the Galatians. I, I look at all these churches and all of the things that they were getting fights over and quarrels. 
They were, they were not agreeing. So what were they doing? They were wanting to fight. So now they're holding this wrong against each other. And now it's creating divisions. And so what's happening? Unbelievers are seeing this and are saying, well, I don't want part of that. <laughs> Why would I want to be a part of that? Why would I even be a part of them? I, I think it was Gandhi uh, once said, you know, I would have become a Christian had I not seen the way Christians lived their lives. That's a pretty incredible statement that I remember hearing. Because we are members of the body of Christ. He's our head, we're His body parts. And if we're not living in a way that brings glory to God, what are we doing? You know? So, 2 Corinthians is all about, you know, comforting them after He's corrected and straightened them out in the first letter. Uh, so Paul talks about thanks be to God, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. I love that verse. That's amazing. I can take this verse and I can meditate on it and I can know that I'm always going to triumph in Christ no matter what life's throwing at us. And he talks about being a sweet savor of Christ unto them that are saved and unto them that are perished. Chapter 3, Paul talks about the Corinthians being the epistle of Christ. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle and written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So the Corinthians, as the Scriptures said, were declared to be the Epistle of Christ. Where do you find the Gospel of Christ? 1 Corinthians 15. They were declared to be the Epistle of Christ, ministered by Paul and Timothy. And in chapter 3, Paul is going to talk about and compare the ministry of Moses with the ministry, the unique ministry committed to Paul and Timothy. He talks about uh, Moses' ministry was the ministration of the law. The letter killeth, the spirit giveth life. And he talks about the ministration of death. That that law gave us the knowledge of sin, which brought death. And he talks about the ministration of the spirit, which came through the apostle Paul, that brings life talks about condemnation that came through the law and he talks about the righteousness which came from the faith of Christ and when you get through the rest of it he talks about the veil all right let's go to verse 12 seeing then that we have such hope we use great plainness of speech and not as Moses which put a veil over the face that the children of Israel should not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the readiness of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, there being Israel. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So if you remember in the Old Testament, Moses saw God, I believe he saw his back, and his face was glowing, remember that? And he had to literally cover his face so that the children of Israel couldn't look upon him because it was just too bright, glorious light. And 
Paul's saying, look, we use great plainness of speech, but not as Moses did. Because he, later he's going to talk about in, in chapter 7 of the next, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he talks, we have this treasure in earthland vessels, that the excellency, the power may be of God and not of us. He's saying, we're not putting a veil, we're putting this thing on display to see the grace of God. And that's why he says in chapter 4, we're moving on to chapter 4, Paul talks about the ministry that Paul and Timothy received. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, which is more glorious than that which Moses received, we faint not. We, we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Right there, I want you to just bookmark that. Bookmark in your mind. Renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Because later you're going to see these false preachers and false apostles. And what are they doing? They have not renounced these hidden things. They are walking in craftiness and they are handling the word of God deceitfully in a way that they are corrupting men and women. Okay, But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. Bookmark that. There are men that are preaching themselves. All right, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for, your se- Je- for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so for the rest of the chapter, Paul's going to now talk about the afflictions of the gospel that come with it. I'm not going to read verses 8 through 18, but those are the afflictions that come. And you'll see this amazing uh, description that ties in with chapter 1 of affliction but comfort. There's going to be struggle, but there's always comfort right there. And God is going to be the one that's going to be giving you that sufficiency. Chapter 5, Paul looks at the things that are not seen, which are the eternal things. He talks about the earthly house and the heavenly house and how we have this house that we're desiring to be clothed from on high. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then he talks about in verse 10. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it is good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He talks about the love of Christ in verse 14. And in verse 14, we'll read it. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. And this is the verse that I love that I've, I've shared before and I've talked about just, to, just giving you a quick story. You think about all of these soldiers that, that go overseas 
and they're, they're with their brother in arms. And if one is fighting for the other one and, and jumps in the line of sight, you want to honor that man. You want to keep living. And the same thing goes for our soul with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for us. And what did we just read? That we should henceforth live, not live unto themselves. We shouldn't live for ourselves, but we should live for Christ. That died, and I love the comma, and rose again. Because the Corinthians, you remember, there were some that were saying there was no resurrection. The resurrection, without the resurrection, we have no hope. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, Paul told the Corinthians, your faith's in vain. Do you think that caused them to be offended? Do you think that made them sorry? Which we're going to get to. So, we should not live for ourselves, but we should live for Christ. Verses 16 through 21, he talks about knowing Christ no more in the flesh. We don't remember Christ in the flesh. We don't remember Christ as a babe in the manger. We don't remember him as a Jewish man in a Jewish land speaking to Jewish people. We don't remember him as a man that was made sin for us, nailed on the cross. We remember him as the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That is the name and title that he has today. He wasn't the Lord over here. Paul, you read in the book of Acts, he was made both Lord and Christ after the resurrection. Interesting. I find that interesting. Look at that. I I don't want to get off uh, on a rabbit trail here. But, if therefore, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And he beseeches, he begs the Corinthians, be reconciled unto God. Verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In verse 1 of chapter 6, We then, as workers together with him, not only be reconciled, but beseech you that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. I remember I told you I believe 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is a perfect depiction of Christianity today. I think there is, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that have said, yes, I believe in the death, burial, resurrection for my sins, for Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ dying for my sins and everything. But I just don't think the Word of God has any relevancy for me today. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with that. And so many people are, are, I think, are repeating the mistake that the the Ephesians made. Let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Right? That Epicurean way. And uh, I believe that when you take that mindset, you're doing what Paul just told the Corinthians to do. They're receiving the grace of God in vain. What did we talk about earlier? We should not live unto ourselves, but we should live unto Christ. So, chapter 6 is all going to be about receiving not the grace of God in vain. He talks about the Corinthians. They're not straightened in Paul and Timothy. Remember the Word of God is, 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 is profitable for doctrine, for correction. Straightening out. So, they, Paul is trying to straight out the Corinthians. And then he talks about not being uh, yoked with unbelievers. And the, what fellowship does Christ have with Baal? And reminds them that they're a temple of God. So when you get to chapter 7, he's going to address 
having this promise that God is going to dwell in us and walk with us and be our God and we'll be His people, He tells them in verse chapter 7, verse 2, Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. Do you think that the Corinthians were having a hard time trying to digest Paul's epistles? I think so. Do you think that they were questioning Paul's authority as in his apostleship? I think so. That's why he had to tell them, look, you've got to receive us. We haven't wronged you. We haven't defrauded you. And we haven't corrupted you. And we're all going to get there because there's going to be false preachers and false men that are wronging them, that are defrauding them, and that are, are corrupting them. And it's amazing because Paul's going to talk about, look, I preached the gospel free of charge. I didn't, I, wasn't, I didn't need anything from you. I robbed all these other churches so I could preach for you. But why are you suffering these fools? These fools, these false apostles, these false ministers of righteousness. And, and, and these guys are actually coming and demanding money from you. And they are making gain of you. And wow, you look at that picture. Isn't that what's happening today? Isn't that what's happening? We have all of these preachers. I'm not going to name names. You can do the math. That are making hands over fists money. And they're preaching the quote-unquote gospel. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're not preaching the gospel. They're not preaching the gospel of Christ. They're preaching another gospel. And don't take my word for it. Go read their doctrine. Go on to their websites. Look what they proclaim. It's public knowledge. Alright? Receive us, Paul says. We've wronged no man. We've corrupted no man. We've defrauded no man. And he goes and talks about how he made them sorry with the letter. Let's go to verse 8. Verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, he's talking about the, the first Corinthians, the first letter, first Corinthians, not second Corinthians. I do not repent, though I did repent. And repent means change your mind, not turn away from sins, okay? For I perceive that the same epistle which hath made you sorry, though it were for but a season. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. They sorrowed to change their mind, to change the way that they were thinking about things. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, not that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, for, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye were sorrowed after a godly sort. So Paul talks, he acknowledges it. He's like, look, I understand that when I wrote that first epistle to you, I made a lot of you sorry. And he talked, we read earlier, remember, he was in anguish, he was in tears as he wrote that letter to them. I mean, he loved them. As a father loves his children, that's why he says, I've begotten you through the gospel of Christ. Be ye followers of me in 1 Corinthians. He made them sorry, and he, he felt bad for a little bit. He's like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I made you sorry. Why? Because you, you developed this thing that's called godly sorrow. 
There's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. That's what we read. There's this godly sorrow in verse 10 that says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Meaning, that godly sorrow worked in them to make them change their mind about the decisions that they were making with idols, fornication, and all these other... The resurrection. They were sorry that they had it wrong, and they knew it, and so much that they acknowledged the truth. And what happens when you have that godly sorrow? It leads to salvation not to be repented of. Meaning you're not going to change your mind anymore about it. You've made it up. And I think that godly sorrow is uh, its a wonderful gift that I think pretty much all of us in this room probably have, we never deemed it that term, but that's what happened to us. <laughs> that's what led to salvation. We acknowledge the fact that, oh my gosh, it was my sins that put Him on the cross. It was my sins that He died for. And He resurrected the third day for my salvation. Wow, that's it. I believe it. I believe it now. I trust it. That's it. I'm not changing my mind. I know I'm saved. And there's no one in this world that can change my mind about it. And that's the attitude that we should have. You know? So, um, godly sorrow is a wonderful thing that Paul acknowledges in in um, in, in, sec, in Second Corinthians chapter eight. Man, there's so much uh, material. It's hard for me to to, to not want to just keep reading it. So, in, in chapter eight, when he gets to it, after acknowledging all these things, now we're moving into what I call the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter eight. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches at Macedonia. Now, I'm going to pause right here and I just want to preface this. When we read chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and 11, you're going to see Paul addressing giving and in the acknowledging giving in the age of grace okay that's what you're going to see and this is an area that it's so hard for Paul to talk about you know because he's having to explain to them you know oh you're just trying to take advantage of us you're just trying to make gain and he's like no I didn't I didn't make gain of you I free I preach free of charge but he he want he acknowledges this thing uh, the grace of God and that grace of God you think about it in verse uh, nine. He tells them, "For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich." So Jesus made himself poor so that others could also be, for, so that we could be made rich. And yes, it's spiritually, but also thinking about it, you read through chapter eight. I want to read a couple verses. So we read chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read verse 2. Going backwards now. He's going to talk about the grace of giving, the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this is talking about money and giving to the ministry, okay? He's talking. He's going to tell the Corinthians to abound in this grace also, not by commandment, but by occasion of all these other churches that are giving so that the gospel of Christ might be spread. That's the point of giving. The point of giving is to help further the gospel of Christ, period. Okay? Verse 2. 
how that in a great trial of affliction, he's talking about the Macedonian, the church at Macedonia, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. You've got to have a willing mind first. I'm putting that in, uh, planning that note. Praying for us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift. <laughs> That's interesting. Paul and Timothy were like, look, we can't take this from you. <laughs> we know you guys got to take care of yourselves. But they're praying, no, please take this. Take this gift. Incredible depiction. Um, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did. And in verse 6, they, they address Titus now. Titus we're going to get to. He's, he has his own epistle. But Titus took on this same mindset as the church at Macedonia. And he wanted to help the Corinthians have this same mindset in them. Verse 6, And so much that we desire Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you this same grace also, this same mentality that the church at Macedonia had. Therefore, verse 7, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove, to prove the sincerity of your love. That's, that's it. Paul's going to challenge him multiple times. You'll see it. I think it's one or two or maybe three times. Giving was a proof of the sincerity of the Corinthians' love for the furthering of the gospel. And um, he talks about, first you have to have a willing mind. And he's not trying to, he's not trying to burden anybody. He's not trying to burden them. He's going to see it in verse 9. Every man has a purpose in his heart. He's not trying to burden, but it's verse 14. But by inequality, that now at this time your abundance may be able to supply for their want, and their abundance may also supply for your want, that there may be equality. So these churches were supporting one another. That was what was going on. And um, chapter 9 he says, verse 1, For it's touching the ministering of the saints, it's superfluous. Thank you. Superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, which I boast to, of you to them at Macedonia, and that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked many. So he, he boasts of the Corinthians in this. He talks about being ready so that you're not unprepared. Make up in your mind what your bounty is going to be. And in verse 6, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you may always having all a sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And he talks about the bountifulness and, and what this does. It causes thanksgiving to God because now the saints, you're supplying the want of the saints. The saints are now having this abundance of thanksgiving going unto God and they're glorifying God for your obedience to the gospel of Christ. And he talks about thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. Chapter 10, Paul addresses again 
this questioning of his authority. Verse 7. Do ye look on these things after the outward appearance? Verse 8. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction. So again, he's saying, look, the authority I have for Christ, it's to build you up. These things are all to build you up. It's for your edification, not for your destruction. They talk about, they're saying, oh, his letters are weighty and powerful. He dares not to compare himself with all these other men, for those who compare themselves with others are not wise. And when we get to chapter 11, Paul addresses now the folly that's going on at Corinth. Uh, Verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear with him. I want to talk to you right now about another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel, okay? There are men preaching in the name of Jesus. That does not mean that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of Jesuses in this world called Antichrist. They're preaching this other Jesus by another spirit, okay? The spirit is not the Holy Ghost that dwelleth in us, those who have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection for their sins and are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This spirit is not that spirit. It's Satan's spirit. And they're preaching another gospel. And I'm going to tell you, this, there, there is so many another gospels that it blows my mind. So close to even the real thing. It's just like counterfeit money. You look at a counterfeit $100 bill, it looks real at face value, but when you really examine and study it, you can see that there's a difference. I remember having a conversation with one man. Uh, it was a guy from my past, um, and he was excited to see me. I hadn't seen him in, in, in like five years, and I'm telling, I'm sharing with him the things that I'm learning now versus what I was doing when I was uh, speaking in tongues and doing all this stuff, right? And he told me, look, Alex, I just got back from Africa. I raised the guy from the dead. And so I'm like, really? Um, okay, well, what's the gospel that you're preaching? And what he said was, Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. But then the next words that came out of his mouth were, and then I made them say, Jesus is Lord. And when I made them say that, then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost, quote unquote, another Holy Ghost, not the real one, poured out and then they started speaking in tongues and prophesying and all that stuff. That's how close. I can't make this stuff up. That's how close people are trying to do. How are we saved? By grace. Not by anything that you say or do. It's a gift. Okay? It's a gift. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled, eat through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul then goes through. You should really read all of 11 and 12, because what's going to happen is Paul's going to talk about, if I were rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. He acknowledges the fact that, look, my, my letters might have been hard for you to digest, but they're for your edification. 
I'd speak the word of God to you freely. I wasn't, I was robbing other churches. I was taking wages of them. And when I was preaching, I was in want. I was chargeable to none of you. He was doing them a service. Just like Christ gave himself freely, he's preaching to them freely, right? And um, when you get to verse 16, we're going to read 16 through 21. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise yet as a fool, receive me, that I might boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in the confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing yourselves are wise. For ye suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So Paul, what's going to happen from here, those, that verse 16 all the way through 12, is Paul is going to become a fool for the Corinthians' sake. And what I mean by that is the Corinthians were glorying in men. They were glorying in men. That's why they had the divisions and contentions among them, right? They were glorying in men. And not only that, but then we have these false preachers and false apostles coming in, corrupting them, taking advantage of them. And then Paul's like, look, if you're going to glory in these men, I'm going to share a little bit about my flesh and what my flesh has gone into. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Am I, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths often. And you should really read the rest of all the things that he talks about that he went through. And not only all those stripes and, and, and imprisonments and, and stoning, but the daily care of all the churches were falling on this man. And he then goes into chapter 12, and he glories in a man that was taken up into the third heaven and, the, and seeing unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, I believe, and I'm just going to, everybody has their opinion, I believe those unspeakable words the, the, that are not lawful for man to utter, I believe that was the full, complete revelation of the mystery of grace. I believe that, uh, that when the blotting out of the ordinances, the abolishing of the law and the flesh, all of those things settled, I believe those were the things that Paul heard. It just wasn't his time to share it yet. <laughs> so anyways, uh, I don't mean to go off uh, uh, too much here. So he glor- and then not only that, he's like, look, this is what happened to me. If, if anything, I'm going to glory in. He's like, I'm going to glory in, in my infirmities. He talks about a messenger of Satan that buffeted him. He prayed three times, Lord, take this thing from me. But the Lord said, what? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How many men do you know that are glorying in their infirmities today? Just a question, just a thought. 
he addresses his signs of the apostle, walking in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Again, trying to prove himself, his validity as his, the chosen vessel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 13, he's preparing to go see them a third time. And they were seeking a proof. Verse 3, Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which is to you word, is not weak, but is mighty to you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And again, he tells them, look, this is the power which the Lord hath given me for your edification, not for your destruction. So, a lot of things going on at Corinth, and I think a lot of stuff that is relevant to today. Are you struggling? Are you living your life? Are you living for the Lord or are you living for yourself? Is there a lot of struggles going on? Well, examine yourself. The God of all comfort, are you living for Him? We can learn a lot about Paul's love for the Corinthians, the charity that he gave to them. He preached the gospel free of charge to them. He didn't, he didn't take any wages from them. And in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, He was encouraging them. Look, take the same mindset that I am towards you, towards all these other people. You believe Jesus Christ died for your sins with burial and rose again the third day? Guess what? There's people in this world that don't need, know this information. There are so many. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them or lost. That's why we're gathering today to be built up right now. That's why we're doing what we're doing, to spread the gospel of Christ to the Franklin area and to the greater Nashville area and to all the places that we can reach with the internet, the world, right? Fool's glory in flesh. If you're going to glory in anything, glory in the cross. Glory in Christ crucified for you. That's the only thing that I can glory in. That's the only thing that I've got. That's the only thing that Paul professed to know amongst the Corinthians. Christ and Him crucified for you. All right. Um, so we talked about the God of all comfort, Paul's love for the Corinthians. We gave a quick overview of all the chapters. I encourage you, go read through this. Don't just take what I'm saying at face value. Go read it. Because it's one thing to hear it, but when you read it and you study it, you solidify it for yourself. Um, all right, let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the glorious gospel of Christ that you committed unto your vessel, Paul, that passed it down to Timothy and to all the churches of the Romans, the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians, and the Galatians. Lord, we thank you that your word is quick and powerful, uh, that it's for our edification to build us up and, and not to destroy us. God, I pray uh, those who are here and those who are tuning in line that we do take a moment to examine ourselves. And we thank you, God, for that, that, that godly sorrow that, that leadeth to repentance. We love you, Lord, and we give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Appreciate you.